Welcome to episode 18 of the History Hotline. My name is Deanna Lincook and today's episode will be a history of ackee and saltfish. And if you don't know what ackee and saltfish is and you're thinking, what are you talking about today? Essentially, it's the national um, dish of Jamaica and it's a dish that is consumed all year round. But I think for British Jamaicans especially, it's something that gets consumed on Christmas morning. Um, It's like the perfect breakfast before you took into a traditional Christmas dinner um, later on in the day. Um, And I thought I'd talk about it today because I think it's a perfect symbol of essentially what Jamaica represents um, as a country and as a culmination of different groups of people. Just like the dish, it's wide ranging and wide reaching in its ingredients. And on the surface, it doesn't really make sense um, when I describe to you what's in it and the components. But I think just like Jamaica, it, it makes perfect sense um, when you try it, <laughs> essentially. So I hope you enjoy this episode. I wanted to move away from some of the heavy histories that we've looked at, the police brutality, the institutional racism. I think we needed something lighter today. Um, if you're listening to this um, anytime around Christmas, happy Christmas. I hope you have a wonderful one. Um, despite the fact that it might not be what you had planned or you had envisioned for your Christmas. Um, I pray you're safe and your family are well and that you enjoy this episode because I'm hoping it will be a a light-hearted and happy one. Although I will give you a content warning. If you're hungry, please have a snack before you start because if this episode doesn't make you want to eat, then I'm doing something wrong, definitely. So firstly, a quick history of Jamaica, just really quickly. If you've not listened to the Ray and Nephew episode, um, Ray and his nephew, I think it's called. um, Yeah, you'll need to listen to this. But if you already have, then it'll just be a little recap just to give you the context of Jamaica, um, just to understand, I guess, the the dish better. Um, So essentially in 1494, um, Christopher Columbus travels to the Caribbean um, trying to find India and he discovers, yep, discovers, as they say, um, he discovers Jamaica, although obviously it's already an inhabited island, inhabited by the Arab Indians um, and the Tainos people, um, who already, you know, settled there. The native population ended up becoming extinct by about 1600 because of the Spanish. Um, The Spanish then start transporting West Africans to Jamaica in order to... um, you know, enslave them as part of the transatlantic slave trade. In 1655, the English invaded Jamaica, the island, defeated the Spanish, and a lot of the enslaved um, Africans escaped to the, like, interior mountainous regions, um, becoming kind of independent colonies called the Maroons, um, and then Britain essentially colonises the rest of the island, well, the whole island, essentially, but the Maroons are kind of left alone. Um, And then Britain is obviously the main coloniser. So we mentioned there the transatlantic slave trade, but there was also a thing called the triangular trade. And that was um, the trade pattern, basically um, a global trade pattern that highlighted the way that goods were moved um, around the world and also people, um, because it's kind of the same route as the transatlantic slave trade. Um, It's a triangle from the kind of European countries um, to Africa, to the Caribbean and the Americas. Um, And that's the kind of three points of the triangle. Um, And so 
these foods that we're going to speak about that make up the dish akin saltfish are all part of the triangular trade system in one way or another and also of course they link into slavery um, and the enslavement of of African people um, at that time and so as we've mentioned um, it's a national dish of Jamaica aki is in fact a fruit and is the national fruit of Jamaica now I always thought that you know aki as as a plant as a tree that grows on a tree had always been grown in Jamaica because you know I see it so often there they're, they're literally everywhere um, aki trees and I think the only other places it's grown is the Caribbean and um, in Florida and some of the more tropical regions of America or so I thought but my research tells me that I was wrong and you know this dish is actually got such a richer and such a longer history than just you know popping up in Jamaica. So the dish ackee and saltfish is made up of as you can probably guess ackee saltfish. Um, saltfish is essentially salted fish and the fish normally being cod but it could be any white fish that's not oily because um, for the process of drying to make it salty um, an oily fish wouldn't work. Uh, onions, peppers, sometimes tomato, um, peppers being like bell peppers or scotch bonnet peppers and you know a whole heap of seasoning because Caribbean food is nothing without seasoning that's for sure um, and so they are the kind of main components of the dish now as we mentioned aki is not a tree that is I think the word is endemic to the Caribbean it was introduced um, from West Africa in the 18th century and I think obviously I said West Africa um, because you know the colonizers literally got a map of Africa and drew lines on it to fit what what they wanted and what bits they wanted um I think the most accurate country to pin it to would be Ghana um and that is also because of the name Aki um, and its language origin is traced back to um Akan and it's said to have been kind of called Aki Fufo and Akan is the kind of it's a central Taino language and the principal native language of the Akan people of Ghana. I believe about eighty percent of Ghana's population can speak slash understand Akan, and it's also spoken in the Ivory Coast. Um, so essentially, this plant um, is taken. This tree is taken from West Africa, probably Ghana, although it does grow in other West African countries. I know it grows in Nigeria, Cameroon, um, Ivory Coast, um, Guinea-Bissau, like lots of countries um, kind of on that West African coast and region. Um, and so it was taken by, by none other than a colonizer and slave trader. Um, and it was brought to the Caribbean, to Jamaica specifically. Um, from Jamaica, actually, it was brought to England. Um, I don't really know why, like, what is the purpose of bringing a tropical plant to Britain? But it was brought to, um, Kew Gardens, the Royal Botanic Kew Gardens, in 1793 by a man called Captain William Bly. And so, the scientific name for the Aki plant is Bly, Blya Sapida. Funnily enough, it got named after him. A white British royal navy captain um who has no <laughs> no relation to to west africa to the caribbean or to aki but you know it's named after him sounds familiar so maybe you're thinking well i don't know if you're maybe from west africa or you know a little bit about west african food and you're thinking well why don't we eat aki there 
Well, basically, now I don't want to use the word wrong, but apparently um, there is a fear of Aki in, in West Africa and in Africa more widely. Um, and it's not popularly eaten. Don't get me wrong, it's used for other things. But essentially, Aki is poisonous. You might be thinking, Diana, what are you talking about? You just said we're eating Aki for breakfast on Christmas Day and now it's poisonous. So yeah, unripe Aki is actually poisonous if it's not consumed when it's ripe. Um, it can give you, and in Jamaica it's called Jamaica Vomiting Sickness Syndrome, JVS, um, just because of the unusual amino acid components, look at me go with my science hat on, um, there's a specific name for these amino acid components if anybody wants to Google and pronounce them because I tried to pronounce them but I thought I'll save myself the embarrassment and just tell you it's something to do with the amino acids. Um, essentially when the fruit is not ripe it can poison you um, and I think it can give you like a vomiting kind of situation like a food poisoning but it can also be fatal um i've always been warned especially by my granddad who had an aki tree um in his garden when we would pick them um we always had to be like really careful um, and make sure they were right before they were cooked and eaten um america also have this fear they actually banned um aki fresh aki from being imported into america um up until the year 2000 the FDA banned that and that is absolutely shocking to me because if anybody knows anything about American food standards you'll know that they're basically so low they are in hell <laughs> and the fact that they banned Aki for fear of poisoning people just kind of shows I guess how lethal this this fruit is um so yeah it could only go into America if it was canned or frozen um and yeah because of that apparently there's quite a stigma surrounding the fruit um in some parts of africa however it is used for other things so the unripe fruit and flowers are used to make soap the wood from the tree it's an evergreen tree um is termite resistant and so it's often used for building um in countries that are prone to termites termites are those little bugs that get into wood and just literally eat the wood until there's literally none left and it disintegrates if you've ever seen termites going at wood is the most fascinating thing ever because wood is obviously so solid and these little tiny bugs are just destroying it because there's so many of them if you're ever bored and you don't like have a weird fear of bugs or you know weird pans on wood then i'd have a google but stay away if not and it's also funnily enough um used um because it's a narcotic for fish it's used um, to kind of catch them. So I believe it's like pounded down. Um, I'm not sure if this is a seed or the actual fruit, but it's pounded down and it's thrown out into the water when fishermen are trying to catch the fish and because it kind of, yeah, sedates the fish and they kind of float up to the surface and can be easily caught, which I thought was fascinating because we're, you know, us Jamaicans out here eating, eating this ackee and could be doing all kinds of things with it. Um, but yeah, it's only really Jamaicans that eat in such high volumes. And I think, well, I actually hope that this food doesn't get gentrified because it's already expensive enough in England. I don't know if anybody here has, has bought ackee recently, but you used to be able to get like two tins for five pounds when I was like a little kid. You know, some people measure inflation with Freddo bars. Jamaicans measure it with tins of Aki. Now, I don't think you can get a tin for £5. Um, the tins are quite big, don't get me wrong, but it's not the most filling food. So you tend to need a few tins if you're making it for a few few people. Um, well, not a few people, more than, like, more than a few. Um, but yeah, essentially, it's really expensive now. Um, so we hope that it doesn't get gentrified. I hope this episode doesn't, <laughs> doesn't make that happen. 
Um, but it's quite, a, I'd say it's quite a difficult dish to get right. So I, I guess it's not something that people would be eager to just kind of try. I think it's best to, to get it made for you, whether that be in a Jamaican takeaway or restaurant or otherwise. Um, anyway, back to ackee and saltfish as a dish. So ackee plant, tree, it's taken around the world, part of this triangular trade system. It's taken from West Africa, brought to the Caribbean, obviously during the times of the slave trade and slavery um and it is as we've said just a fruit that grows on trees and it grows quite abundantly so it was quite a cheap source of food um to give to enslaved people and not to say that the slaves were chefing up ackee and saltfish because i don't think that's really realistic however you know it was there and it's quite um it's a food that's quite high in in healthy fats it's kind of on the a vibe of avocado maybe in regards to its like nutritional value um it is really buttery a lot of people compare aki to scrambled egg i've never had scrambled eggs i'm allergic um so i can't make that comparison myself but looking at it and looking at egg kind of has a similar texture a lot of people that don't know aki would just say oh that jamaican food that looks like egg a lot of americans say that a little bit ignorant of them but we move so that's a bit about aki we're going to move on to the saltfish because aki is not aki without saltfish. Although, you know, Jamaica has a big Rastafarian population. It's kind of where the movement began and uh, Rastas are known to be vegan. And so saltfish obviously would not be part of their diet. Um, and aki is often made without saltfish. Um, it's made with onions and peppers and tomatoes and obviously seasoned up and cooked down. Um, it's a great dish for vegans, vegetarians. Um, and some people that really like their meat add bacon. Um, so yes, it's a dish for everyone. There's many variations to ackee and saltfish. So with the saltfish, I feel like this is where it gets a little bit interesting because this is the second component and I guess the second main component of the dish. And again, it's just not from Jamaica. It's not native to Jamaica. And I just think that it highlights just the fact that Jamaica is just such a melting pot of, of different peoples and cultures and religions and values because we were taken um, from Africa and brought, you know, as black people to Jamaica, um, you know, and over time we've been taken from other parts of the, the globe, like India and China through indentured labour. Um, and, you know, there's British people and Scottish people and Welsh people that came over to colonise the lands that ended up staying. Um, and Jamaican people are a mixture of all of those things. And just like this dish, it's just a, such a beautiful metaphor. Wow. Um, so saltfish, salted cod is normally used. Cod is normally used. Um, and as I said before, it has to be a non-oily fish because it has to go through the salting process and the drying process and salty fishes salty fishes <laughs> they can't really be dried apparently I've never done it so i wouldn't know but historically drying food is actually the oldest form of food preservation known um it has been around for you know many 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 years <laughs> such an accurate number um but apparently northern europe has been drying whitefish for over 500 years um, and obviously before that, we're probably drying other other types of food to preserve them. And Northern Europe um, and the kind of Atlantic regions of the world, so Canada, um, yeah, Northern Europe and maybe bits of America, are known for, for this salted fish. And that is literally where it's come from. So you've got the ackee coming from West Africa, the saltfish coming from the Atlantic regions of the world um, and all ending up in Jamaica in their national dish. 
um and so yeah it preserves the food preserves the fish for salting and for and obviously for exportation in this triangular trade system where in this case the fish is being caught in the atlantic and is moving itself um after being preserved and salted to either africa or um the caribbean and the americas and in the caribbean and the americas it's obviously a super cheap and super accessible source of food um and so because the climate is so hot a lot of food would go off really quickly especially something like fish can you imagine a fish sitting out in the sun for an hour let alone for weeks on a voyage um and so the fact that this fish was preserved it meant that it was a really cheap and accessible source of food for enslaved people so again um this is another food that has come and been passed down through traditions of slavery um and the things that the enslaved people um were able to eat and were able to get their hands on and so it was a staple in an enslaved person's diet in the caribbean um and that was when it finally was introduced into jamaica because it wasn't you know initially there obviously it was part of the trade system um and it's as i said quite an inexpensive protein source compared to something like meat which would need a lot of time you'd need to be able to rear the animals jamaica is quite a hot climate so it might not necessarily be suitable for raising cattle or something like that um and all of that kind of the process of like killing an animal and like butchering it and cooking it would take time um enslaved people aren't known to have bags of time or any kind of financial um you know (laughs) compensation um obviously they are enslaved and not being paid for their labor so they wouldn't really be able to eat things like meat or have a diet rich in meat Um, and so that fish was kind of the best source of protein that they would have had um and essentially that is how it it came into jamaica as such a popular food and i believe like it's eaten more commonly around the world now because i yeah i see it in shops um outside of like specialist caribbean food shops um more so now so i believe it is obviously used and it's it's obviously just preserved fish salted fish there are so many things that are salted and preserved that we eat today like gherkins or pickles they're preserved in vinegar um yeah so this process is obviously common of preserving foods and this is one of the outcomes of it and so the other components of the dish um as i mentioned are like onions peppers um scotch bonnet peppers which are hot and seasonings which obviously you know cannot live without um so onions peppers scotch bonnet peppers all grow native in jamaica and so i guess that's the kind of the small parts, the garnishes that that are part of the Jamaican history um, as as foods and as plants making it into the dish. And then seasonings, um, most seasonings that came to Jamaica were brought actually by Indians who came over in the kind of aftermath of the ending of slavery um, in 1833. There was um, an extended period of what we call um, apprenticeship, um, where essentially the 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 rule was that the people that had been slay, enslaved and were working on the land needed a period of transition to becoming free. Really, it was just an extension of slavery. And for about six more years, they essentially worked um, as enslaved people on the land and continued to do exactly what they were doing under the guise of being free and transitioning into freedom. Um, after that kind of period happened um, and planters and overseers and like plantation owners realised that the kind of 
free labour was, was over, the source of um, labour was dried up and it was illegal for them to do so. They had money because they were paid reparations by the British government um, as loss of property because they had now lost their enslaved people um, and they were able to pay for the passage of people from India and China to come over and work as indentured labourers, um, to work the lands and to do the jobs that the previously enslaved people were doing the chinese and the indian people weren't like slaves um they were not being categorized by that they were compensated for their work obviously poorly paid and the conditions of living um and their existence was very poor um it was a kind of extension of slavery with a different group of people and many um african people that were in the caribbean um and the descendants of those would have worked the land anyway because realistically they weren't trained to do much else um in the kind of aftermath of the abolition of slavery and so yeah they continued to to do that work um but indian people brought over spices and they brought over especially curry powder um that's why jamaican people essentially i guess have curry goat and curry chicken because it was brought over um these seasonings and these spices um from from india and so i think that kind of exemplifies this whole concept of the country being such a melting pot and this dish being such a good metaphor for it. So I kind of wanted to leave with this really beautiful quote um, from an article I read when I was researching this episode. The article's called Jamaica's National Dish is an Immigrant to Its Own Shores and it's by B. Kwame and um, she, yeah, she writes this little it's quite personal. Um, she lives in Toronto and is uh, Jamaican and is speaking about the dish. Um, and I just wanted to read out an excerpt because I think it just speaks to everything I've been trying to explain about, but it's just written so beautifully. Um, she says, there's a Jamaican expression my grandmother often said, every mickle mecca muckle. And that means little things add up to grand things. From ackee seeds surviving the arduous journey from Ghana to the Caribbean, to enslaved Jamaicans saving up scraps of cod preserved in Nova Scotia, the story of Jamaica's national dish speaks to the resilience of my ancestors that resonated through the generations. Even under painful circumstances, there's beauty in creating something new with pieces that don't seem to fit together. I thought that was really beautiful because it essentially is a dish of pieces that don't really seem to fit together. If I would have told you that, you know, people will be chowing down on Christmas morning to a dish of of a yellow fruit, onions, peppers and seasonings and spices and fish all in one, like literally vegetables, fruit, a buttery fruit and fish all together, you might be thinking that's so strange and that wouldn't work, but it does. It works so perfectly. It's like the best food ever um and no judgment for whatever you eat it with there's so many options bread fried dumpling boiled dumpling plantain anything um rice even if you want it for dinner um it's such a versatile dish and as i said the national dish of jamaica um and something that i guess as jamaicans i guess it's one of those things that we're super proud of because it does exemplify the country of jamaica and what it kind of has become about um so yeah that is the history of ackee and saltfish. Um, I really hope you enjoyed that. I didn't think I could talk about ackee and saltfish for that long. 20, like 24 minutes. That is 
a record. I know I like food, but <laughs> that's a lot even for me. And so that is the end of this episode. This will be the last episode for the year, for the year of 2020. How long and drawn out it has been. Um, we are having, we'll be having a two-week break. We'll be back on the 11th of January um, with fresh episodes, fresh content. I'm really excited um, for all the possibilities of the new year. Um, but I definitely need um, a few weeks off just to kind of, I think we're going to recenter and get some really good content that will be valuable to you um, and to your kind of educational journey with Blackbridge history and all the things that that are on the periphery of that so I'm just gonna say that I'm so thankful for all of you that have listened um, from August when we started to now and all of the people that will continue to listen into 2021 thank you so much for all your support for all your kind words, for sharing the content, for following, for liking, for subscribing. It would have not happened without all of these these things. I've had so many opportunities come out of this podcast this year and we hope it continues next year. So thank you so much. Um, I hope you have a wonderful Christmas, a happy new year and of course, whatever you are doing above all, please stay safe and look after yourself and your loved ones. Thank you for listening. Bye.